0: Well, good morning. I'd like to welcome you to our final service. Uh, Oh, not our final service, our final Sunday morning service for 2023. I was so focused on not saying the last service of 2020 that I still messed it up. But uh, we want to welcome you to our service this morning. And uh, good to see many of you back from uh, holiday travels. And we thank the Lord for his travel mercies also It's a beautiful day today for uh, this time of the year, so we're very thankful for that. If you're visiting with us today for the first time, or the first time in a very long time, we'd like to warmly welcome you and uh, say we're glad that you're able to visit with us this morning at Anchor Baptist, and uh, if you would like to take a moment and fill out a visitor card and put that in the little box in the back, um, that'll be a way that we can reach out to you. So if you'd like us to, uh, to visit you sometime during the week, please do make sure you take a minute to fill that out and put that in the box in the back and we will make sure that we do that. A couple of announcements and then pa- Pastor Josh will come with our opening scripture reading.
1: <laughs> uh, as Pastor was saying, uh, enjoying the beautiful weather, Hope you all had a safe travel. Uh, we were out of town so we were thankful to be back and have safe travel. Uh, tonight, with it being the new year, there is going to be a fellowship um, after the evening service. Um, we do not plan on staying till midnight, so uh, but there there's some stuff that's going to be going on, just a little fellowship, but it's going to be a dessert fellowship. So if you do plan on staying afterwards, please bring a dessert um, for sharing. And then next Sunday, following the, the morning service, there will be a nursery meeting um, and then next Tuesday, so not this Tuesday, but the following will be the Baltimore Rescue Mission. So kind of slowly getting into routine as the new year, but look forward to see you guys out tonight. Our opening scripture reading is found in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, starting in verse 1. Furthermore, David the king said unto all the congregation... Solomon my son in whom alone God hath chosen is yet young and tender and the work is great for the palace is not for man but for the Lord God now have i prepared with all my might for the house of my God the good i'm sorry the gold for the things to be made of gold and the silver for things of silver And the brass for the things of brass, the iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood, onyx stones and stones to be set, glistering stones, diverse colors, and all manner of precious stones and marble stones in abundance. Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, I have mine own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God, over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. Our theme for worship today, let's joyfully reflect on God's greatness as we enter the new year.
0: Please let's bow together for a word of prayer. We'll ask the Lord to bless our service that he would take the word of God that we've just read this morning and he will take it and press it in our hearts and that the Holy Spirit will work so that we will understand the weight of these wonderful truths and we'll reflect on them as we enter into the new year. Let's bow for prayer. Father, as we reflect on this text of scripture, I pray that the word of God would be laid before us with tremendous clarity. As we leave 2023 and enter into a new year, I pray that our hearts would be directed to you, that we would dwell on your greatness, and that we would marvel at how awesome and how wonderful and how majestic and how holy a God you are. As we reflect on your greatness, I pray that we would also reflect on how personal and how kind and how loving and merciful you have been to us. I pray that as we reflect on your goodness, that we would be overwhelmed with tremendous gratitude and tremendous humility as we reflect on the fact that there is nothing good in us that has merited this kindness. There's nothing in us that has made this favor something that we are worthy of. It is all of your grace. It is all because you are good. And I pray that this morning we would have this deep and overwhelming sense of those realities. Father, as we give of our tithes and offerings, I pray that we would give joyfully, that we would give in proportion to what you have blessed us. As a church, as we take these resources, I pray that we would use these resources wisely and according to your purposes. And I pray that you would continue to bless and strengthen and prosper this congregation. Father, help us to be a light in the darkness. Help us to be a church that makes disciples and shapes them through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God to become more and more like Jesus. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, well, today we are going with the third stringer. That's me. And uh, so if you could take your hymn books and turn together with me to hymn 218. How great our joy. Let's stand together, please, as we sing this song that reflects on the glory of the incarnation and what Christ has done for us. 214. 18. Because there's an echo, I want the outside wings to do the echo, all right? And you guys sing it like normal, but it'll only be the outside wings, all right? If you don't know where the echo is, just sing the whole thing. And if you do know where the echo is and you're in the center, then don't sing that portion there. So here we go. Let's sing it out together on the third. <clears throat> there shall the child, by like his soul. There shall
2: Joy joy joy. joy, joy, joy. Thanks be the Lord in heaven on
0: high. We're going to sing the fourth, which was supposed to be that one. Here we go. This gift of God will And let's turn over to hymn 203, O Holy Night, 203. And I really want to encourage this is the last chance that you have to sing this in 2023. So let's really sing it out with passion and consider uh, the words that we are singing here. O Holy Night. <laughs> o oh, Holy
2: Night i
0: to it. I'd like to sing one more before our scripture reading, and that is 202 Good Christian Men (coughs) Rejoice. Please, let's stand together as we sing that, and then Pastor Josh, I'll have you come and read the second scripture reading after we sing this.
1: Reading is going to be continued in 1 Chronicles 29, and we will pick it up in verse 9. Then the people rejoiced, for that they offered willingly, because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy. Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness, and the power, and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and thine hand is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people? that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort. For all these things come of thee, and thine own have we given thee. For we are strangers before thee, and sojourners as were all our fathers. Our days on the earth are as a shadow. There is none abiding. O Lord our God, All this store have we prepared to build thee an house, for thine holy name cometh of thine hand, and is all thine own.
0: Okay, well, let's continue in our singing hymn 196, Angels We Have Heard on High, and we'll sing the first two verses together, then on the third... I want you to go ahead and greet those around you, and instead of wishing them Merry Christmas, wish them a Happy New Year, because I guess that'll be tomorrow, or sometime later today. And uh, greet them, and then uh, we will come back and we will sing the last verse together, the fourth verse. So please let's stand together, let's sing the first two, and then let's greet ourselves. Or greet one another, not ourselves. (laughs) Oh, you could do that too, whatever. 196. Excellent singing. You may be seated. And our final song before our offertory is from our Blue Books. And that's hymn 174 See the Christ. 174, See the Christ. And this is a great song because it talks about the nature of Christ, the incarnation, God in flesh. And he emphasizes in this song the cross. And the triumph of the resurrection. So, this is a great, great song for us to close out uh, our singing this morning as we think about the purpose of Christmas. So, let's sing it out 174, See the Christ. For us to think about as we see the connection between the incarnation the cross and the resurrection let's take a moment to reflect on that while we hear our offertory children who are in the junior church class can be dismissed to the back and the rest of you I want to invite you to turn with me in your bibles to first chronicles not corinthians but first chronicles chapter 29 first chronicles chapter 29 and we're going to be reading verses 9 through 15 together again that's first chronicles 29 and we're reading verses 9 through 15 together The word of the Lord says, Then the people rejoiced, for that they offered willingly, because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy, wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness, and the power, and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great, and to give strength unto all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I? What is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. We are strangers before thee, sojourners, as were all our fathers. Our days on the earth are as a shadow. There is none abiding. Please, let's take a moment. Ask the Lord to bless the preaching of His Word. Our Father, as we think about the text in front of us, I pray that these words would settle in our souls. And I pray that we wouldn't just think about these words in this moment, but I pray that when we leave this place, these words would settle in our souls. As we go to our homes, these words would settle in our souls. And as we enter into this new year, I pray that the Holy Spirit would take the word of God and continually remind us of these glorious truths about the Triune God. I pray that as we look at this text, you would open our understanding and impress it upon our hearts in a very special and a very personal way this morning. And we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. The text in front of us is an excellent text. I love it. In fact, uh, during times of the year like this, I always ask the question, "What should I preach on? And I will tell you that I actually didn't make up my mind till yesterday. And uh, so this message is not as, we could say, as settled as a lot of the sermons are that I typically preach. Because the text that I was going to deal with was actually very different. But as I reflected on this text more and more and more, I said, this is the one that we need to look at as we enter into the new year. And I love this text because what it is, is perhaps the greatest And the most comprehensive statement regarding the incomprehensible greatness of God in all Scripture. And when I use the word incomprehensible, I'm not saying that there's no ability to comprehend God on any level. What I'm saying is we will never be able to fully grasp Him as He is. Everything that you and I understand about God is the tip of the iceberg. It can be true if it's from the Word, but we don't understand it in its fullness. But this passage of Scripture attempts to kind of communicate the greatness of God. It is an eruption of praise that was the outworking of a series of events that culminated in David's charge to his son Solomon regarding the construction of the temple. So when David says these words before the congregation, he is saying them as an old man. Now I wouldn't say an elderly and weak man but he's not a young man. He's not the same strength and vitality that he had when he went against Goliath. He doesn't have the same uh, mentality, the same strength and vitality that he, ha- that he had when he led those soldiers into war. Or when he took the throne. Or when he had been on the throne for a few decades. He is now a man who is much, much older. He's at the end of his life. And he is reflecting in this moment, on how absolutely great God is. But he's not just focusing in on the greatness of God. That will be the focus of what he says. But what I want you to see is it's not just about how great God is, it's about how good God is. How this great God, who we cannot fully comprehend with our minds, chooses to work in our lives. He chooses to be kind to us. He chooses to work in our lives in a very personal and a very practical way. He reveals himself to us as we go through life. We understand who he is from the word. And then he impresses on us a fuller and richer and more personal understanding of those rich truths that are expounded in the word of God. I can say God is great and God is wise. But I understand his greatness. I understand his goodness. I understand his wisdom. I understand his grace far more personally As I live my life. That is really what is the outworking of the text in front of us. And so I want us to begin by looking at David's passionate address of praise to God. I want us to look at the details of what he said. And then from that, I want us to look at the question of why did David say those things. And then I want us to conclude by asking, well, how are we supposed to respond to these truths? So first of all, David's passionate address His address was given during a time of tremendous generosity in Israel. In fact, we see it this way stated in verse 9. He says, Then the people rejoiced for that they offered willingly because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. Now, when we talk about giving, giving is something that we could do in a lot of different ways. We could give because we feel forced to do it because someone has kind of we could say strong-armed us into doing this we could see it because we feel guilty we could give simply because we feel like we've been blessed so abundantly we are so excited about whatever we're giving to and we just do it with all the heart that last example is what we see here the people are not giving by force The people are not giving because they're strong-armed. They're not giving because they're being manipulated. They're not giving because they're trying to get something from God. And they're trying to kind of twist his arm like, if I give you this, I get this back. That is not the way the people are giving at all. And we see that by the way that it's stated in three ways. The first is, it says that the people rejoiced. The people were passionate about the gift. If there was any weeping, it was a weeping of joy. And thanksgiving that they could contribute to this amazing project that was going to be the construction of the temple after David's decease, but by his son Solomon. The second phrase is they offered willingly. And by the way, he states that word willingly twice. He's really emphasizing the fact not just that they rejoiced. But the fact is, it wasn't by force. It wasn't through manipulation. It wasn't, I'll give you this if I get this back. That's not it at all. There's a free giving of the people to this work of building the temple. A great example of how we should always give. And then the third statement is they did it with perfect heart. It does not say they did it with perfect hearts, it says they did it with a perfect heart. And that word perfect has the idea it is complete. It is a whole. There is a unity of purpose. It's emphasizing the corporate nature of this gift. It wasn't like someone said, hey, let me show you how much I'm going to give. And they laid it out. Another person said, I can one up that. And they went and they brought their gift and they said, hold on, hold on, hold on. I can beat all of you. And they bring their gift. And so the focus is on this individual and this individual and this individual and this individual. And then somebody over here feels really bad and they bring a little bit and they're very sheepish about That's not what's going on at all. Nobody cares what other people are giving. This is the way giving is supposed to be. It's your right hand not knowing what your left hand is doing. You're not thinking about it. You're just giving because you're excited about this and you have the opportunity to do it. They gave us a body. It was a corporate thing. And David is the one who is leading this assembly. David is the one who is laying of his own gifts before the Lord as well. And we're going to get to a little bit later in the sermon why this is such a significant thing for David. And why it really has a lot to teach us in this coming new year, but I want us to continue on. Not just that it was during a time of lavish generosity, but the address was almost entirely focused on God's attributes of greatness. Now, when we talk about God's nature, his character, his perfections, we could categorize them in a couple different ways. Some of them are attributes of greatness his power, his wisdom. His authority, greatness. Some of them are attributes of goodness His grace, His righteousness, His love, His mercy, His compassions. In other words, we see God as a God who is great and a God who is good. And what we really appreciate is when we see the greatness of God and we appreciate the goodness of God, that's when we're really humbled by how God deals with us. That's when we really express gratitude to him. It's when we see the goodness in the light of the greatness. And that is exactly what David does here. In verses 9 through 13, he describes God in his greatness. And I want you to to notice the way he does this. His gratitude started with a sense of God's magnitude. You know why a lot of people are ungrateful? Very simple. They believe that God is not great. They believe that God owes them something. They think that God has something to learn from them. They think that God owes them some answers to the way he has dealt with them. And when you read this text of scripture, you will recognize that David never, never acts like he is entitled to something from God. He's not entitled to any answers from God. He's not entitled to any kind of kindness from God. He's not not entitled to any kind of power from God or opportunity from God. He is a humbled man, the leader of the nation, a man who has been the king for nearly 40 years. This man feels no entitlement before God. It's because he understood the greatness of God. Notice the way he describes in verses 10 and 13. He says, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father. And then in verse 13, he says, All things come from thee, and of thine own have we given thee. You say, What is David saying there? He's saying that God is the giver. And God is the sustainer of life. It reminds me of Colossians chapter one where it talks about Christ. It says, by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth. Visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created by him and for him. He's before all things and by him all things consist. He gives life, he sustains life. Anything that you have that is good, every good and perfect gift, it comes from him and you don't deserve it at all. I don't deserve it at all. None of us deserve it. And David is emphasizing this by saying, he's my father. He's the source of life. Everything that I have comes from him. He sustains me. Now, when David says that, he's got a lot of history. A lot of history of God's sustaining hand. In fact, I was working through our preaching schedule for the next year. And one of the things we're going to do is we're going to spend a lot of time in the life of David and the life of Saul and the life of Solomon once he finished the life of Ruth. And as we work our way through that, it's going to give you an appreciation for the way that David, many, many times, God intervened on his behalf. God was so good to to David. David was a great man, but David was a very sinful man. And David was a man who didn't deserve any good from God. Yet God was very, very kind to him. And we see the sense of that even coming out as this older gentleman says what he says. The second thing that he mentions, that he is the eternal God. In verse 10 he says blessed be thou Lord God of Israel our Father forever and ever. He's the eternal God. Everything comes from him. Everything is dependent upon him. He's not dependent on anybody. He didn't come from anybody in this room. He's answerable to nobody in this room. He is the eternal God. As far back as you can look he is there. As far To the farthest that you can look, he is there. There is no end to the eternality of God. And he emphasizes this. In contrast, we will see by the end of this, to how short our lives are. Our lives are like a vapor. They appear for a little while and they're gone. Thirdly, he talks about the standard by which any form of greatness is compared. I love this statement. In verse 11 he says, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness. He didn't say, you're great like, and then he describes something that they know is great. And they say, you know, God's kind of like that. It's not what he did. He didn't say, you're great like many other things. He says, you are the greatness. You're the standard. Everything in all of creation that is great is only great in some proportion to the greatness of God. And that comparison is nothing. I mentioned this in the Sunday school class. I think about the standards of the Olympics back in the 1930s and 40s. Do you realize that the people who held the world record in the 100 meter dash in the 1930s and 40s could not even make the U.S. Olympic team today based on the standard they were running at the time? Do you realize that? It's true. Yeah, we're just talking about a few tenths of a second here. If someone wins a race by two tenths of a second in such a short race, we say, that is a great runner. He destroyed the competition. Yet, you know, another 50 years, (laughs) he might not even be on the team. And we're just talking about a couple of pieces of a second here. Or we could talk about the strength of a man. Junior high boy can bench press 120 pounds. And a world champion weightlifter could bench press, I don't know, 700 pounds. Say, wow, that's not even comparable. Well, you know, four or five people sitting in your truck changes it by how many hundred pounds? Never thought about that? We're talking about the difference between vehicles out here. That's not a whole lot of weight difference. We talk about the comparison of God's greatness to us, it doesn't even compare, it doesn't even scratch the surface. In fact, when we think about trying to describe this, there are no words that adequately describe the greatness of God. And we will see that by the way he repeats this over and over and over again. The next thing he says is, You are the power. In other words, the standard by which any might can be compared is compared to God, and it falls so insignificantly short, or so significantly short. He's the standard by which any glory must be compared. He says, You are the glory. And you are the victory, any triumph compared to God. You are the majesty. You say, well, those kind of, like, what's the difference between glory and majesty? I don't know. You sit down, think about it. If you can come up with a good example, then you come and tell me after the service. Because we feel like we're talking about the same thing. His glory and His majesty. The idea is this. Well, how do you describe God's majesty how do you describe his greatness? How do you describe his glory? Well, you just say it a lot of different ways and you say, that's God and we aren't even close. Yet that's not the way people think about God. They feel like he's their genie in a bottle. They feel like he did me wrong and so I, I reject him, I ignore him. I don't, have to, I don't have to contend with him anymore. He is the standard of all of these things. He then goes on to say this, all that is in heaven and earth is thine. He owns everything. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord. He rules everything. Thou art exalted as head above all. All human authority comes from him. And this is important, is answerable to him. These are all wonderful descriptions of the greatness of God. And the fact is that we, at this time in the year, should really stop and just try to wrap our minds around, to the degree that we can, how great God is. But we shouldn't just stop at that. That's where we should start. And by the way, if we continue there, we will just continue there for all of eternity. But David's redundancy is, is basically another way of saying, you know what? God's greatness is, is not fully comprehensible. You can't adequately describe him. He's incomprehensible. You cannot adequately grasp him, his greatness, because he's described in terms that fall short of who he is. We always think of God in terms that we comprehend, yet these fall so far short. Anything you compare God to is not not a perfect analogy. David's description of him in the congregation and in the presence of such a great God reveals something else, though. It reveals that he felt a sense of great unworthiness. He's expressed his conviction that everything that he has comes from God. We see this in verse 12. He says, riches and honor come from you. He expressed his conviction that he is accountable to God for every facet of his life. He says, thou reignest over all and I'm a part of that. Part that's under your authority he expresses conviction that all his strength and authority come from God. Verse 12, in thine hand is power and might. In thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. So David's not just describing this as God's out there and he has no relationship to me. But he's saying as I talk about God's power and I talk about these aspects of his nature and his authority, I am reminding myself again that I'm under that authority. Any strength that I have, it comes from him. He's the source of my life. He's the sustainer of my life. He's the one who put me in this position. He's the one that said no to this thing that I desired. He is the one who has the right to do such things. But I love this. He expressed his wholehearted gratitude for God's kindness. Verse 13, he says, Therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. David's heart went to where all of our hearts should be right now. God, thank you. Thank you. None of us, none of us has the right to look at God and say, you owe me. None of us. You say, well, Pastor, 2023 has been a really rough year for me. There's some things that I, I don't think God should have given me those things. I don't think that God should have allowed those things. I don't think God was being right to me. I'm not trying to diminish the things you've experienced in any way, but I'll say this with the firmest conviction possible. You have no right. No right to look at a holy, righteous God who gave you life, sustains you life, who knows everything and can do anything he desires, and to tell him you were wrong and how you dealt with me. David says, thank you, God. And by the way, in just a few moments, we're going to recognize that David was dealt some hardship of his own choices, yet he understood God's grace. And it's really neat, but we're going to see it in just a minute. He expressed how God had been so kind. He says, who am I? What is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after the sword? All things come of thee, of thine own have we given thee. He says, everything I've given to you, you gave it to me first. All the resources that I have, I didn't didn't take them by my own might. You gave them to me. And then he expresses how short life is and how weak people are in the light of eternity and the strength and power of God. In verse 15 he says, we are strangers before thee. Sojourners, as were all our fathers, our days on the earth are as a shadow and there is none abiding. All of these great people from the past, we don't even know their names. We don't know anything about them. How many of you even know the name of your great-great-grandfather? Some of you might. I bet a lot of you don't. Okay, your great-great-great-grandfather or grandmother on your mom's side no idea who these people were. Do you know anything about their lives? Do you know how long they lived? Do you know how educated they were? Do you know uh, what they did for work? Do you know if they had a good marriage? Do you know how many children they had? Do you know anything about their hardship? No, a lot of us don't know anything about these people. Yet we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for their lives. And the point is this. You and I will be forgotten just like that. If The Lord Jesus doesn't return for another couple hundred years. Nobody's going to know your name and mine. I mean, the good old internet might help, but there's going to be a lot of information out there for people to digest. Our names will be forgotten. Our lives are significant, but only because of what God does through us. And David expresses this. David is reminded of his humanity in the light of the greatness of God. Second thing I want you to notice is that the story that drives David's passion is one we need to understand. David recounted some important details before these wonderful words. If you turn about a chapter ahead in chapter 28 verses 1 to 6, listen to what it says. David assembled all the princes of Israel and the princes of the tribes and the captains of the companies that ministered to the king by course and the captains over the thousands, and the captains over the hundreds, and the stewards over all the substance of possessions of the king, and of his sons, and with the officers, and the mighty men, and with all the valiant men unto Jerusalem. Now, most of the people in this room would not have been able to be in that group. All right? It's just the truth, all right? So he takes the strongest, he takes the mightiest, he takes the most powerful, and he says, you're going to represent the people in front of me. And he says these things to them. First thing he says is verse number two. He says, I had in mine heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God, and had made ready for the building. You know the story that David is talking about. There was a moment in David's kingdom where he looks out over his kingdom. He says, you know, I have peace and I'm strong And I can do the things that I need to do. You know, it doesn't make sense that I live in this beautiful home and God, his presence dwells in a tent. This doesn't make sense. So he goes to the prophet and he says to him, he says, hey, I want to build a house for God. The prophet looks at me and says, do all that's in your heart. Can you imagine how David's feeling? He's like, oh, this is going to be so exciting. We're going to get all this stuff together. And he's thinking about it. And he's processing this. I mean, David was a guy who got stuff done. And then the next day, the same prophet comes back to me and says, I got bad news for you. God said no. God said you can't do it. See, does God do that to us sometimes? Sure does. He sure does. You say, well, What are the kinds of things that he does that for? All kinds of different things. If I sat down and I kind of wrote down a whole list of the kinds of things that God sometimes uses to say no, there's a long list we could come up. And we'd still forget things on that list. Health, consequences for sinful choices, the decisions of other people. I mean, we could just go through all kinds of different situations. And in verse three, it says, but God said unto me, Thou shalt not build a house for my name. And when David heard those words, I can't imagine how it just would have crushed him. Why would God not let me do a thing I want to do? A good thing. And here's the answer. If it didn't crush him enough when he said no, he goes on and he says more. He says in verse 3, Because thou hast been a man of war and hast shed blood. Now, you say, well, I thought men of war all shed blood. Why does he mention both of them? Well, because he's making a distinction between two different aspects of David's life. One is, yes, he was a king, he was a warrior, but David also committed murder. And a part of that story of committing murder was adultery. And a part of that story of murder and adultery was a lot of dishonesty, a lot of deceit, a lot of abuse of authority. David had committed a horrific not just sin, crime against that nation and against God. And the simple fact is, God is not just saying you can't do this. He's saying you can't do it because of your sinful choices. You say, well, did God just kind of like crush him and walk away from him? No, he didn't do that. Because the next statement is fascinating. And this is a really big part of what we're looking at this morning. In verse 4 he says, how be it? The Lord God of Israel chose me before all the house of my fathers to be king over Israel. And here's the next word, forever. So God tells David, you can't build my house. But there is something you can do. And what you can do is still a great thing. You're going to be a part of the lineage of the Messiah. In fact, what's interesting is not just you're going to be a part of the lineage of the Messiah, but we will see that God actually took the sin of David, as horrific as it was, as shameful, as unjust, as such an abuse as it was, he still, in his grace, caused good to come out of that. It's a pretty amazing thing to consider. Because the next thing that we see is that he recounts the extent of God's grace when he talks about his son, says in verse number 5, he says, Of all my sons, of which I've had many, (laughs) that was true, he hath chosen Solomon, my son, to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. God could have chosen any of David's sons, and he would have upheld the promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and you just keep going down the list all the way up to David. But God chose one of all those boys and said, that's the one that the line's going to go through all the way to the Messiah. And I love this child. Now, to, to, to think about this for a minute, David's sin is what brought him into a relationship with Bathsheba. So, humanly speaking, he should have never done what he did, and Solomon should have never been born. Humanly speaking, if David is doing what is right... You know, this shows you, this shows you that God in His grace, and that is all, that is the only explanation we can give it. God in His grace can take even situations like that and He can still be kind to people in spite of it. Because He says, I loved Solomon. I think God's making a point here. He's making a point that I didn't stop loving you And I didn't stop being a good God and I didn't stop being a gracious God because you sinned horrifically. Now, please don't miss this. He didn't say, but you can go build a temple. He still said, no, you can't. There were unquestionably consequences for David's actions. There is no question that as a result of David's sin, he had all kinds of hardship and misery in his family as a direct result of his sinful choices. God didn't stop all of those things from unfolding. But what he did do is he demonstrated his kindness in the spite of all those things. Despite all of them, he showed his kindness. He says in verse 6, Solomon, thy son, he shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. So why did David have such a big view of God? Well, he understood God, but he understood God in the light of how God had dealt with him. And that's really significant. David loves God because he not only understands the magnitude and the greatness of God, but understands how this great God dealt so mercifully and graciously and lovingly and kindly to him who was so unworthy of these things. And I also think it's fascinating what David says. David at this moment pauses and he says, I need to exhort my son don't be like me. Listen to what he says in verse 8. He says, son, keep and seek for all the commandments of the Lord your God. Verse 9, Solomon, my son, know that the Lord God of thy fathers serve him with a perfect heart, with a willing mind, for the Lord searcheth all hearts and understanding, all the imaginations of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. He said, son, God still is righteous. Verse 10, take heed now. The Lord hath chosen thee to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong, do it. Verse 20, be strong and of a good courage. Do it, fear not, nor be dismayed. The Lord God, even my God will be with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. That an amazing series of statements. You say, so what was the cause of all this? I would say there are at least two factors. And the most prominent of them is the grace of God. If God did not demonstrate his grace in the situation, David David wouldn't have had this opportunity. He would not have had this conversation. He would not have had this child. God would not have set his love on this child. He would not have been able to gather all the materials for the temple. He would not have been able to exhort Solomon. None of this would have happened had the grace of God not been a part of the story. Not just a part of the story. It is squeezed out of the story everywhere you look. While David's words focus on the greatness of God, his heart is pressed by the goodness of God. Words like transcend, omniscient, omnipotent, immutable, describe what David says. Words like love, mercy, kindness, grace, generosity, patience, faithfulness. These moved his heart to say these things. He loved God because he knew him personally by experience. I ask this question, do you love God I don't mean do you feel obligated to be here and to talk about him, to read the Bible. Do you love God? Love him. You have affection for him. When you sing these hymns, your heart is pressed with passion. Do you have that? If you don't, then you do not know him. You do not know him as he is. It is the love of Christ that constrains us. It's his love for us that gives us a love for him. We love him because he first loved us. If we know him and we are born of him, we will love him. That's what the word of God teaches. And so I think of scriptures like Psalm 31. O love the Lord, all ye his saints. The Lord preserveth the faithful and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Those are statements of experience. Psalm 116, 1 and 2. I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice, my supplication, because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. You see how it is the experience that drives the passion. David's willingness to live with passion as a recipient of that grace is a second piece too though. God gave him his grace, but David had to live in the light of the grace he was given. Think of it this way. When God confronted him through Nathan the prophet, he acknowledged his sin. He didn't make excuses. None. Psalm 51 is David's confession because of what was in his heart. He experienced God's restoration. When David, rather than covering his sin, acknowledged his sin, he was reminded of God's grace. He was reminded of God's love. He was reminded that There is no sin that is unforgivable to the Christian. He was reminded that the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son, this is before the cross, it cleanseth every sin. So, as he's faced with the weight of his sin and he acknowledges the sin, God reminds him of what he's done for him or what he would do for him on the cross. He humbly accepted the consequences of his actions. He poured his heart into what God allowed him to have. Now when David wanted to build the temple and Nathan comes back to him and says, you can't, David could have said, well, all right, God's done with me. Guess I got nothing more to contribute. I guess I ought to just go off and sit in the corners in the shadows and let somebody else take over and do their thing. That's not what he did. He said, well, if I can't build it, I can prepare them to build it. <laughs> So that's what he did. He poured everything in his heart heart into what God said you can do. You know what that does? That shows you he accepted when God said no. This is one of the great lessons we have to learn in life. When God says no, we have to accept that that's what he said. And just because he said no to this doesn't mean there aren't great opportunities somewhere else. We have to learn this lesson. David is a tremendous example of this. He humbly accepted the consequences and he gloried in God's grace. He said, God, you said no here, but you said yes here, and I don't deserve this. That's what he said. He didn't say, what do you mean I can't do this? He said, you said this and I don't deserve it. That was his attitude. That is someone understanding grace. He did not allow In gratitude to rob him of a rich enjoyment of God's grace. Many, many Christians, when their life takes a turn that they did not anticipate and takes them to a place that they thought they would never go or something they would never be told no, they fold their hands and they say, it's not fair. It's not right. God, why did you put me on the shelf? And God says, could you look over here at what's available to you, please? Could you pour your heart into what matters over here? Because this and this, they're both opportunities I give. And I have the right to say yes or no. The third thing i to say is this. We need to live wisely as recipients of God's grace. Whether we realize this or not, all of us sit in this room as recipients of God's grace. The grace that keeps us alive and sustains us. The grace that is available to us through the death of Christ and his resurrection and his righteousness. The daily grace that sustains us as believers as we grow into Christ's likeness. As we grow in a depth of knowledge and understanding and appreciation of God's goodness. We are all recipients of his grace. And sadly, some people foolishly live as if they're dependent on nobody and they don't need anything. And I want to remind you of what it says in Lamentations 3. This is the text I was going to preach until yesterday. (laughs) This I recall to my mind. Therefore have I... See, I I squeezed it in. (laughs) Therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. His compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. If someone takes this view... I am the center of the universe and I don't need anybody and I don't need anything, their self-reliance is a mirage. The air they breathe is God's air. The strength they enjoy is a temporary strength upheld by God's care. The sharpness of their mind is held together by God's mercies. Sometimes God's mercy is to humble us so that we can see what's true. You know, I played uh, Stratego with my boys. Next year. We'll do that again. You know, play word games like Scrabble and stuff like that. You start realizing, man, I'm not as sharp as a 13-year-old. <laughs> it's not a good thought. The truth is, we're all gonna lose what we have. And it may happen faster than we realize. And it sure it'll happen faster than we feel like it should. God's mercy humbles us. God's grace is available in Christ no matter how far someone has gone or how long they've resisted him. Some people unnecessarily fail to see God in all his greatness. I think there's a lot of Christians. We talk about how great God is, but we really don't see him as he is. And it's very evident in the way we think, the way we process, the way we make decisions, all those things. People fail to look at the wonder of creation and ask, Huh, where did that come from? Where, Where does this sense of obligation come from? Where does this order, where is this sense of right and wrong? Sometimes people fail to ask why does science start with the presupposition that there is order to observe and there are natural laws to discover must mean that somebody made them and God's grace is available no matter where a person finds himself but I want to mention this one as well some unnecessarily fail to experience the riches of God's grace they will not face sin which keeps them from the blessing of forgiveness and restoration. When a person covers sin and hides it and is unwilling to address it, guess what it does? It keeps them from experiencing forgiveness and restoration. And you know whose fault it is? Only one person's, it's theirs. When a person doesn't face their sin, (coughs) or when they have faced their sin, and they understand God's promises of forgiveness and restoration... But then they refuse to personalize those precious promises. They, they fail to experience the riches of God's grace. There are some people, you could, you could take them into the scriptures and say, hey, you know what, I know that that's what you did. I know that you faced that. Let me remind you of what God has done for you. And they say, yeah, 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 I know that's true. But I don't feel it. Well, are you going to believe it or not? It's not about how you feel. It's about whether or not you're going to accept what is stated. And a lot of people fail to experience God's grace because of that, the richness of His grace. They experience God's grace but wallow in misery for what has been lost while missing out on what is available. I mean, this is, this is, this is where a lot of people find themselves. I can't let go of what God said is not available. And He says, well, why don't you take that? That's available. I remember when I was a a teenager, my pastor gave this illustration. I have no idea if this is is really how they catch monkeys, okay? But what he said is they'd take a gourd and they'd drill a little hole in that gourd and be empty inside. It was just big enough for a monkey to stick his little hand down in there. And then they put something in the gourd that tasted really good. And that monkey would go and stick their hand down in the gourd and they'd grab a hold of it. And guess what? When your, fist, when your hand's like this and when it's like this, there's a difference. And that difference was the gap. And they put their hand in there and they'd hold on to that thing and they couldn't pull their hand out because they were holding on to what was inside the gourd. So they'd walk up and they'd, they'd catch that monkey right there. Why? Well, because he wouldn't let go of what was keeping him bound. A lot of Christians live this way. A lot of us want to hold on to something that God says, No, you can't have it. We'll let go of it. Take what God gives you. Some ignore the consequences of sinful choices and presume they can continue as if there is no natural consequence for sinful choices. Presumption is a dangerous sin, folks. Scripture says in Proverbs, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. That is a description of presumption. I... Say, this is my way, and I don't care what God says. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to push ahead. And God says, you can do that, but there's going to be a day you can't do it anymore. And the harder you push and the longer you do it, the closer you get to that day. God's grace is available in all of its richness. So let's embrace it. He's given us so many wonderful things that we can glory in. Number one is the fact that we're Christians. And you start at that point and you start working away from it and guess what, you'll just see example after example after example after example of how good God is. Let's bow together and let's thank Him for that. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the word. This text is so, so rich, so full of depth and we needed to hear this today. May we not leave this place with a hardened heart of unbelief but may we walk out of this place with a heart that is tender and rejoicing in your grace if there's anybody here that needs to do heart business with you I pray that they would do that if there's someone in our midst who has never placed their faith in the finished work of Christ and experienced the new birth being born again by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone I pray today would be the day that they face their sin, the reality of the cross, the empty tomb, and they embrace the gospel with all of the heart. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'd like us to turn in our closing hymn to hymn 38, How Great Thou Art. And as we sing it, whew, let's think about it in the light of the passage of scripture we just examined this morning. Let's stand together, please, and let's sing. How great thou art
2: O oh Lord my God when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds I as have
0: to close the service out with. I'd like to ask you if Brother Ralph Pridgeon, you could come and close us in prayer and remind you that tonight we'll have our evening service and then after that uh, we'll have a fellowship. If you're coming to that, please do uh, bring desserts. Thank you. Or a dessert. <laughs> Plural would be fine. I mean, you could bring more if you want. Let's, <laughs>
2: Let's pray. Our gracious Lord and heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can gather around your word, Lord. We pray that your spirit would remind us that you are magnificent. You are the glory. And that just as we go through this, the rest of this year and into next year, that that would be our focus, serving you and giving you thanks for everything that we have. Now, we pray that you dismiss us with your blessings, watch over us all, and use us and find us in your will. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.